You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brother Emerson, for uh, taking care of me. I got off the airplane, and, and he's just so nice. I mean, you know, just too nice, I tell you. And, and he said, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I said, you want to eat? I said, oh, maybe not. And he kept saying, yeah, let's go to In-N-Out. I have not been in In-N-Out for 10 years, maybe. That was literally 10 years. I haven't been in California. Let's go. To, so we went to In-N-Out and ate, and I was rem- I reminded of my wife back here. When she first went home, uh, to the States from the Philippines. We'd been there about five years. And uh, so I had her go home for a month. And, um, you know, we, she asked me before she left, said, Rick, what do, you, what do you want me to bring you when you come back? Of course, you know, some things you don't get over there, especially back in the sev- late 70s, early 80s. I said, I want you to bring me back a Big Mac from McDonald's. <laughs> and she laughed, ha ha, what, what do you really want, Rick? I know, I, I, that's what I really want. I want you to bring me back a Big Mac from McDonald's. I said, okay. She said, okay, I'll do it. Okay. So she went home and stayed a month. Before she got on the plane, she went out to McDonald's and on the way to the airport, got a Big Mac, put it in a sack, put it in her purse, got on the airplane there in Indianapolis and had, you know, waited for the plane. Had a, flew up to Chicago, O'Hare Airport, had a long layover over there. Then flew out to San Francisco here and had a long layover here. And then flew all the way across the ocean to Tokyo, Japan. 12 hours, yes, and had a layover there. Then she flew to Manila, four and a half hours, had a, stayed all night in Manila, <laughs> came down the next day, it was like 40 hours. She got out to the airport and came home and, oh, I'm so glad to see you, Becky. I'm so glad to see you, Rick. I said, where's my Big Mac? She said, it's right here in my purse. <laughs> really? Wow, open it up. So I got that out and opened it up. It had mold all over it, you know? <laughs> I ate it anyway, I literally ate that. I did, I did not care, I promise. She would remember that, but uh, uh, it's crazy. Being a missionary is different for sure. Yeah. But but uh, thank you for what you're what you're doing here. You know, I was uh, planning to preach this message tomorrow night, and I found out some of the, I think the college students a lot of them work at night, right? And so I decided to switch my messages from tonight, tomorrow night to tonight, and tonight tomorrow night's message. But I want to speak especially to young people and to Bible college students that may be here and everyone, but I want to speak about the mission field tonight. I might have given this message about 30 years ago at a, mission, at a youth conference here, and if you happen to be there, you may have heard this, I doubt it. You, you're much older now, obviously, not a young person anymore, but I have a burden for uh, missionaries. Um, when I, your, your church is well known at IBC, Little Baptist Church, People know about your church. I mention you often there. And I mentioned recently I was going to be here at North Valley Baptist Church. One of the new members after church came up and said, well, what are you going to be doing when you go to that church in, in California? And I said, I thought you know, well, I was going to speak there maybe. I said, well, I'm going to be hunting missionaries there. I'm looking for missionaries. And tonight, that's what I'm looking for. I'm, and I'm looking for missionaries. And if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I want to speak about what God needs from us and what the world needs. Um, 
I talked to a young man before service, and he said, you know, Pastor, uh, Brother Martin, I'm thinking about, I think God may be calling me to the Philippines. And that's what we need in this world. That's what Mexico needs. That's what Spain needs. That's all the countries around the world. They need people that will go and share the good news. And you know, if churches like this don't send out missionaries, others aren't. Not many will. And uh, that's why, that's the main reason I'm excited to be here, to be honest. I'm looking for missionaries. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, the Bible says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and so and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. God was in desperate need for someone to go to the wicked people of Judah. Isaiah lived with those people, and and uh, God came down to him one day and said, Isaiah, I've got a problem. I, the people have become so wicked. They've turned away from me. And I need someone to go and to warn them of what's going to happen if they don't repent. And, and uh, then he said, but whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Isaiah lived there. He saw the need. He, he was burdened for them. And so he volunteered. He said, Lord, how about me? Amen. And uh, Amen. He, he said, he said, I'm not much. He, says, I'm a, he said, I'm a wicked sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. Yeah. But, Lord, I'm available. Yeah. Isaiah said these words, Hear my Lord, send me. You know, God is desperate tonight. Sometimes we think God, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, but there's some things that he will not do. He's not going to go and preach the gospel. He needs us. You think about it, God needs us. Amen. He needs people. He's desperate because... As he looks out over his creatures and creation, he, he, notices, he notices most people in this world, the average person will never one time in their lifetime hear a clear presentation of the gospel. They might hear the name of Jesus. They might hear about Christianity, but most of them never hear one time their whole life about the plan of salvation, something we just become used to because we hear it. We know it so well. I want to give you um, three reasons tonight from this chapter, why I challenge you to consider to be a missionary. And God looks down in this service tonight, and he says, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I wonder tonight, who would accept that challenge and say, like Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me to the mission field. First of all, I want you to notice that God oftentimes accepts volunteers. Now, if you look in this passage very clearly, God never called him to be a missionary. And I know God does that. God called me to be a missionary. But he, didn't, he never commanded him to go. He, I think he wanted Isaiah to go. I think he probably would have told him to go. But I think he wanted to give him a chance to volunteer first. Amen. You know, that's what we need today. All we need is volunteers, people that would say, Lord, if you want me to go, I'll go. Because then God would have plenty of missionaries. He'd have plenty. Maybe some of them he'd say, no, this is not God's will for you, but... But, you know, we need missionaries. We need young people to be missionaries. We need these little children to be missionaries. We need adults to be missionaries. And, and uh, by the way, never underestimate the children in your church. Amen. 
never under, because God can use him. A little boy named Bill Borden grew up in Chicago, and at the age of seven years old, he was attending Moody Church with his mom. His dad wasn't saved. His dad was a multimillionaire, very wealthy man, but, but his wife was a very strong Christian, and she was there when R.A. Torrey was the pastor. She brought that little boy to church one day, one Saturday, and said, Pastor, I want you to explain the plan of salvation to my son. He's very interested. And he did, and that day he received Jesus as his Savior. That little boy, just as a little boy, fell in love with the Lord, just loved him. He would go home from school and sit on his bed and open his Bible and read the Bible, and then he'd go out and play after that because he just loved him. And he, he had such a strong closeness to Jesus as a child and as a teenager that that's just who he was. He loved him so much. His father as a, rewarded him when he graduated from high school at age 16 with a trip around the world. And so his father hired a, a, a young man who was a graduate of Princeton University, who was Walter L. Ehrman, and a, a strong Christian and 27 years old and thought he would be a good guide for his son. And so they went out to, uh, they started and went out west to uh, this part of the world and maybe Washington, I think, and got a boat, went to Tokyo. And when he was in, to in, in Japan and saw the heathen, heathenism there in that country and saw how the people worshiped the false gods and his heart was just stirred and he never considered before, but he thought, maybe God, you want me to be a missionary. He went to China. When he got to China, he noticed that there were these groups of people that were difficult to reach. Their language is so difficult. And, the, and he, he noticed there were Muslims living there. He didn't realize that. And, and he saw these groups of Muslims there in a very rural place. And he said, these must be the hardest people in the world to reach. He realized he'd have to learn Arabic. He'd have to learn uh, Chinese dialect. And being Muslim, they'd be hard to reach. And they were in a rural place. But he loved, even as a teenager and as a boy, he loved to do hard things. He liked to do things that were very difficult, and people said you couldn't do it, and he would do it anyway. And he said, Lord, if you would, I would love to come back and reach these people with the gospel if you let me do that. He prayed, and then he wrote his dad, and uh, he told his dad, I want to be a missionary. I think God may be calling me to be a missionary, and when I come back to home, I want to go to Moody Bible Institute and become a missionary. And, and his dad got that letter, and he went to India and stayed there, was touched so much by the country of India. And then he went to Egypt, and then Finally, went back to London, back to the United States. But when he got home, his dad said, you're not going to Moody Bible Institute. He said, you're going to Yale University. I've got you enrolled there. I've got a way for you to get in there. And he was a very bright young man. And he was disappointed, but he obeyed his dad. He said, okay, I'll go. But in his heart, he said, when I go to Yale, I'm going to be a missionary there. I'm going to reach the young men and women at Yale University. He got there, and the first thing he did was find a tried to find a, a Christian who was very dedicated and found a young man named Charlie Campbell. And they began to partner together. And every morning they would get up and they'd pray and, and read their Bibles together and pray how they might reach the young men there uh, uh, and women at, at Yale. And the first year, they, they just decided they would work with the freshmen. And Charlie was a sophomore and he was a freshman. And so they decided to have Bible studies for the uh, students that would come, and by the end of the first year, they had 150 of those freshmen, only 1,300 students at Yale at that time, and 150 of those kids were in their Bible studies. Most of them had gotten saved. During the second year, they began to pray how they might expand, and so they decided to evangelize the upperclassmen and also the new freshmen. By the end of the second year, they had 300 of those students in their Bible studies. They would go, he would have, like, he didn't understand how 
soul winning organization like we would do and have dissertation. But he developed what we would be doing today. He would get three by five cards and he would write the names down. People turned in names of prospects. People, those, those 300 kids would pray for others and they would turn and pray for this guy. He needs to be saved. Pray for this girl. She needs salvation. He would get gather the students in their Bible studies and he would read those names off and hand out the cards to those who would be willing to take that person and win them to Christ. And when, when he named, when he read out the name of someone that was kind of hard, you know, to get hard, hard, uh, hard-headed and that was kind of notorious he would and nobody would take him he said okay that's mine i want him i want him he'd go win the 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 toughest kid yelled to the lord and and by the time he graduated 1,000 of those 1,300 students at Yale were attending those bible studies you can read it in their news and their yale standard just uh as part of their history and his name even today yale is still known for what he did there the faculty loved him respected him he built a he saw there in Hartford, Connecticut, was a prosperous place, but part of the city was very poor. And he, wouldn't, he would go down there and see these people. He had so much compassion for them, these men who had gone astray from life, and they had messed up their marriage and messed up alcohol and drugs and all kinds of things that just kept them, that just destroyed their lives. And he, he felt sorry for them. Somehow his dad gave him the money, and he, 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 he bought a building there, and he turned it into a rescue mission. He was 19 years old. Started that rescue mission during his junior year, and and when they when he started that, he would go out there himself, and he, he actually had some men that were hired to help. But he would go out and gather those men and put his arm. He would see them on the streets and sit down by them, and they, they were homeless people, and he put his arm around them and had them come in and get some coffee and drink it with them and share the gospel and win them to Christ and go to school the next day at Yale University. When he left there, the people at Yale knew how strong how his intention to be a missionary. And some of them tried to kind of talk him out of it. And, and uh, he had so many offers to do just about anything, but kept his promise. And, and uh, he decided that uh, one thing he decided to do, he, he was very popular at the school, believe it or not, because of his character. He was a good athlete and very humble. And the girls liked him, but he, he, his friend said, why, aren't, why don't you have any girlfriends? And he said, well, you know, he's a very ethical person, a principled man. He said, um, you know, I would like to have a wife to go there, be helpful, but I, I couldn't take a wife there. I mean, I'll probably end up dying. I could. It's very, I'm going to be persecuted, and I just can't marry someone, and I couldn't, I couldn't have that on my conscience. And uh, he, he, went, he, he went to, after that, he, um, his dad died while he was in college and left him the money and decided he did keep the money, some of that money for ministry, but he, he said, I'm going to give this money away, and I'm not going to use any of this for personal. I've got to learn to live by faith. And so he, he just lived by faith, and, and God used him, and he wrote in his Bible, no reserve, no reserve. He went to Princeton, studied Arabic for a couple of years, and he went to Egypt. And when he got on the boat there, and again, he was very beloved, but he wrote on his, in his Bible, no retreat, never going back. He got in Cairo, and he had a plan to evangelize Cairo, 800,000 people. He got, he. he did 100,000 gospel booklets, and he took them. He went to a missionary school there. Before he went to China, he went to Cairo because they had a school on how to win Muslims. It was an intern type of thing, and he was going to go there for maybe six months and learn how to, methods of winning Muslims. But when he got there, he realized, I mean, they were, they were trying to evangelize, but they evangelize the city, but they weren't very aggressive. And he got those booklets, and they went out, and they started passing out those booklets. And those mission chapels and mission 
churches that we call them there in Cairo, they begin to get a lot of visitors from those Muslims. And he began to reach those Muslims for Christ. And even before he went, was going to go to China, and one day he, there was a student in that, uh, uh, that internship uh, school that got sick. And he was taken to the hospital, and he's very, very sick. And uh, he was uh, d diagnosed with spinal meningitis. And uh, very contagious, and so, but he went to visit him. And uh, then he died. That boy died, and of course, they buried him the same, almost the same day there as those kind of countries. And, and uh, it really affected him. And he told, at the cemetery, he told his friend these words. He said, now we must work all the harder, for the time is short. Little did he realize how short his time was. Bill Borden, just a couple of weeks later, got sick. He didn't know what was wrong, but he knew something was bad, and they went to the doctor, and then he went home, but came back, and he went to the hospital, and he was diagnosed with cerebral meningitis. And if you know anything about that disease, it's a very terrible disease to have. Uh, people back in the United States heard about it, they were heartbroken, especially at Yale University and even Princeton, where it had an impact. And his mom and his sister were in London at the time, and they found out they immediately uh, set forth to go to Cairo to see him maybe before he died. He had no hope, really. That, that disease is um, it dis, it, it's disfiguring to the face. It's a, it's a disease that's very painful in the end. And, but while he still had time, of course, he was re, would try to read his Bible. And he wrote in his Bible that, those two words at the, toward the end of his life, no regrets. And on April the 9th, 1913, about 9 o'clock in the morning, four hours before his mom and sister arrived, he died. When, he got, when the mom and sister got there and they were going to the hospital, they, they um, were told, don't go in the room. You, you won't even recognize your brother and your son. And, but they wanted to go in, and they, they saw him. And he, 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 his face would look just very different. And, but the, his, one of the two, I don't know which one said this, but one of them said to the other, said, you know, he, the Bible said that his visage was marred more than any man about our Lord. And, and he's, he's, he's the same. And you know, Bill Borden had an impact. And, you know, we have the strangest thinking about the foreign mission field. It's almost like God has to send us a letter or, a, or call us up on the phone or something before we even consider to, to be a missionary. When the truth is, everybody ought to be willing to go anywhere God wants them to go. I'm not saying everybody should be a missionary, obviously, but you know what? You'll never find out where God really wants you and what how God really intends to use you until you say, Lord, you've got it all. If you want me to be a missionary, I'll be glad to go. If you want me to go to, if you want me to be a janitor, I'll be a janitor. If you want me to be a school teacher, I'll be a school teacher. If you want, but if you want me to be a missionary, I'll be a missionary. But you better be careful about saying that <laughs> because you might accept you because there's so few people that are going. He oftentimes, he sometimes accepts volunteers. Second reason I want you to challenge the mission field is because God can use anybody. Notice what the Bible says here. Isaiah said, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a nobody. I'm a worthless sinner, but I'll go. You know, if God can use someone like Isaiah, don't you think God can use you? The last thing I ever thought I would be growing up was a missionary. My dad was a pastor, and I was going to Howes Anderson College, but I, I went and I worked as a bus director, and always thought that's what I would be, a youth, and I worked as a youth director. And I thought, well, that's what I'll do. And, and Never wanted to be a pastor. Really, I'd rather be, a, you know, assisting somebody. And Bob Pugh's a missionary came to our church one night during pastor school in 1976, and the theme was "Don't Quit." 
And that night he spoke for just a little while. He was sick. He was dying of cancer. Built a great work in Cebu City. Spoke just a little while. And that night I turned to Becky and said, Becky, we're going to the Philippines. She didn't know where it was, and I didn't know where it was. But uh, I said, we're going to go to the Philippines. And because those, she, he talked about how the people are so open, how people would get saved if people just go there. And he was right. People are very open there. And, uh, you know, growing up, I, I always felt inferior growing up. I was kind of short growing up. And, and uh, I, when I got off the plane in the Philippines the first time on that survey trip, I looked down, man, I was tall. I, was, I, I never played basketball until I got to the Philippines. And I, I thought, oh, maybe I'll try that sport. I became center on our basketball team when I first got there. But, uh, but you know what? God's not looking for talent. I mean, he, he used that. God's not looking at your ability. He can use that. God's looking at your heart. God's looking at your character. Talent and abilities often overlooked. Jack Howes used to say that everybody rises to their character level, not their talent level. And that's so true. It's so true. God always wants to show if anything good comes out of our lives that it's him, not us. God, God can use anybody. You say, well, I'm still young. I've got my life. I, I want to enjoy life. C.T. Studd was another young man that had everything that a young person could ever want, like Bill Borden. His father was very rich, owned part of the Indian Tea Company, and uh, he was going to one of the greatest secular universities in the world, and they're in Cambridge University. And, and not only that, but he was probably the most well-known sports star in England at the time. He was a cricket star, which is a major sport there, and he was a great player and young and exciting, and, and uh, he was a Christian. But kind of backslidden, and D.L. Moody came there to England, and he went to hear him preach, and it changed his life. And he went back, and he, he just had to win someone to the Lord. D.L. Moody had such an impact. You read about his life. The, the more I learn about him, the more I see how God used him just incredibly. And everywhere he went, and C.T. Stead went out, and he said, I led my first soul to Christ. He said, I've tasted all the pleasures of this world, and there's nothing that compares to winning someone to Christ. His family tried to talk him out of going. He said, I'm going to go to China. Dale Moody had mentioned that country. He said, I'm going to China. Six other guys went with him, by the way. And uh, he said, I'm going to go to China and be a missionary. And they told him, you know, you're wasting your life. He didn't care. He said, I'm going to go there. And got on a boat and went to China. His dad died soon after, similar to Bill Borden. His dad died soon after he got in China. He was 25 years old. Left him a fortune, 125,000. I'm sorry, 25,000 pounds. He did the same thing Bill Borden did, but he just gave all of it away at once. 25,000 pounds. He gave 5,000 pounds to D.L. Moody, 1887. That's how Moody Bible Institute was started with that money. He gave 5,000 pounds to um, uh, George Mueller, the one that had the great orphanage in Europe, and, and had 2,000 orphans at one time. He gave 5,000 pounds to the old Salvation Army that at that time, was a great soul-winning organization. He gave 10,000 pounds of rest up to other groups and lived in China by faith. He realized that he just needed to learn to live by faith like everybody else, and he did. And uh, stayed in China nine years, and he moved to India, where his dad had a lot of uh, business before there, and just had a burden for that country. He stayed there for six years until his health got so bad he, he could, could not sleep at night. And, and uh, he went back to England, brokenhearted. Stayed there until he was 51 years old. But his heart was always in the mission field. And, 
One day he went, he was in, this, he was in Liverpool, England. He's walking down the streets. He saw this sign on the side of a building that said, cannibals need Christians. And in those days, they didn't have television. They didn't have modern technology. And if you heard about another country, you, you heard somebody that had been to that country. And so people would come, unsafe people would come to meetings. And there was a missionary from Africa, and he put that on the sign to get the people's attention, and they would come in and listen about Africa. And he went in and listened to the man. He was a missionary, but he was pleading for Christians that would come in those doors to go to Africa. He had seen those people. He had seen their need. And he's just broken down, pleading for missionaries. And C.T. said, said at the back there, and he was thinking, Lord, I'm going to Africa. He went to the, um, he, he, uh, his health was pretty bad, and he, but he went to the men that were supporting him after he'd given up all of his fortune. Some of his, his father's friends had heard about it, and they started helping him. And so he told them his, of his plans to go to Africa, and, and they said, well, what about your health? And he said, well, I think the Lord will take care of that. He said, well, why don't you go to the doctors and tell us what they say? So he did. He went to the doctors, and the doctor told him, he said, you won't, in that climate, you won't live for six months. You go there. I mean, you shouldn't do that. And he went back, and he told them the truth. He said, the doctor said I shouldn't go, but I believe God wants me to go. And uh, they said, they got together, and they came back, and they said, we're sorry. We, we love you, but we can't, uh, we can't help you. You know, C.T. State got very discouraged at that time in his life. And you know, he got discouraged for the same reason you and I get discouraged. He took his eyes off of the Lord, looked at the circumstances. He wanted to go to Africa. How could he go? And then he remembered back as a young man, 25 years old, how that as a young man, God had always taken care of him as a missionary. And he said, you know what? If God could take me to China as a, by faith, God can take me to Africa. He got on a boat, went to Africa. And when he did, he wrote a letter to those men, a kind letter. But he said these words to them. He said, and that letter said, I will blaze the trail in Africa, though my grave may only be a stepping stone that the younger men may follow. And uh, what happened in the, he went to the old Belgian Congo. That, you know, those countries change their name every 10 years or so. But Belgian Congo, that became Zaire, and then it became the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and today I think it's the Congo. But he went to the old Belgian Congo, and, and the doctors were wrong. He stayed there for 21 years, <laughs> preached the gospel. He started churches. His favorite church was this place called, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the name correctly, but it's Imbite, I-M-B-A-I, out in the middle of nowhere. But people would come from all over the place, build an auditorium that seated 1,500 people. That thatched roof, huge building there. And people would come. C.T. said we'd get up in the morning. He loved that church because they loved to sing. Like, I mean, it was like your church. He said people would come on the way to church. He could hear them singing a cappella, of course, walking and through the, over the hill and through the valley up to his church in the jungle, and they would be singing. Before the, light, the sun came up, they were walking to church from long distances. And when he got up that morning, the, the sun came up, and the, the building had light, the place was full, and they were singing and preaching until noontime. They had a break, and then they would have an afternoon service and preach, and then the people would go home, and they would go out and evangelize. And that, through that church and through that, his ministry, they started the, the uh, HAM, the Heart of Africa Missions, and started over 200 churches there in that place in Africa. You know, C.C. said had, he was a young person. He had everything. But he saw something that was so much greater. God gave him the privilege of being a missionary. God can use anybody. God can use you. It doesn't matter who you are. The third reason why I want you to challenge you to consider the foreign mission field is because the need is so great. Isaiah saw the need. He said, said I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. Everywhere I go, he said, people are away from God. You know, 
the need in the foreign mission field is so great. About 350,000 people are born every day, and most of those people will die. Never one time hear the gospel. 100, what, 150, 160,000 people die every day. We, both, we all know where most of those people are going, don't we? It's hard to say it, but it's true. We know most of the people are going to hell when they die. Oh, and when I, you know, when Jesus said these words, lift up your eyes for the fields are ripe into harvest, I think about the Philippines. What a place. As I see my field day by day, I'm just amazed. Everywhere you go, there are doors to be that are open to preach the gospel. When you arrive in the Philippines, I'll guarantee you'll find one thing. You'll find that there will be people that will listen to you. There are opportunities everywhere. The public, in our, in our country, you can go to any, their constitution is written with, that says that any, any group, any religious group, can go into a public school and teach religion on a voluntary basis. It's, it's a right of, the, of, of people that go there. Every, and we, we take advantage of that. You can go into homes. Uh, you can go in homes. Our, our, our college students go and have preaching services in home of unsaved people for practical ministry. And, and you can have Bible studies in people's homes where you go in and just unsaved people and say, could we teach the Bible? Yeah. Give a Bible. Well, they're excited. Wow, I'll get a Bible too. Yeah. And you get salvation if you'll read it and show them how to get saved. I mean, it's not easy. And you're, you get frustrated. There's problems. But you know what? You know what I've seen? I've seen missionaries that have gone to that country and have reached so many people just because they worked hard and walked through those doors. Yeah, yeah. And all this, all this brings the question in the Philippines and other countries like Mexico and others uh, that where Americans have unlimited opportunities, why aren't more people going? Yeah. Why aren't more people going? And my answer is, I don't know why. I don't understand. Maybe there's a misconception that there's so many missionaries. You know, I was talking to Brother Everson yesterday about the Philippines and the statistics of missionaries there. You think, wow, it must be flooded with missionaries now. You hear all things about the Philippines are receptive. And, and uh, when I went to the mission field in 1977, a few, couple of years after that, a survey was done of the Independent Baptist uh, Mission Boards and the best they could, they, they, and it was a very detailed report of the different groups of uh, how many missionaries, there was 196 independent Baptist missionary couples or families there in the Philippines. A few years, maybe 15 years ago, Doug Calap, a friend of mine, did a survey, and did a pretty good survey. I mean, I got involved, and other missionaries got involved. There were 98 missionaries, exactly one half of the number of missionaries in, when I went to the Philippines. When I went to the Philippines 45 years ago, there was 45 million people in that country. That was the population. Today, there's 108 million people. So today, we're trying to reach twice the number of people with half the number of missionaries. The need is so great. And the need is so great in many, many places around the world. And maybe, what are the reasons? Maybe we're not challenging people. I don't think that's necessarily true, not in this place. I mean, this place is... is encouraging and sending out missionaries, but the need is just so great. I've been to Mexico City where Kevin Wynn, his daughter's here today, Wendy, I remember she's just a little girl. Goodness, I can't believe it. I mean, what a city that is. You could drive for hours and never get out of that city. What they're doing is unbelievable, but it's just, 
country's so great and so large, and there's so many places around this world that need missionaries. And he said, well, you don't understand. I, I couldn't be a missionary. I've got a job. I've got a family. I've got a home. I've got a, I've got a, you know, I'm burdened, but I couldn't go. You see the need. And all, those, all those things become so little. Amen. My Bible says in Matthew 6, but seek ye first. Amen. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, and his righteousness and all these things should be added unto you. You see the need and you realize how unimportant material things are. Back in China, during the World War II, they, they, um, there were missionaries that stayed there in China. And uh, after World War II, the oil companies got involved in making a lot of money in that country. But they had a problem. one of the problems they had was they didn't have interpreters or, and translators that could translate uh, documents and interpret meetings with the Chinese, so they found that was a real difficulty to make it legally how they could operate. But they found, found one missionary that was a very experienced missionary and very capable, and so they offered him a really good amount of money if he would translate and interpret for them. And he said no, and he, but they, they were kind of stuck, and they kept after him and after him, and finally they said, you know, we'll give you $50,000, and you can still be a missionary too. You can depart. You can work at that too. If you'll, if, you'll, if you'll do that for us. And he said, no, I still can't, I can't do that. And he said, why not? Is that not, is that, is the amount too small? He said, no, your amount's not too small. I said, but your job is too small. <laughs> Amen. My, my favorite missionary used to be, I like a lot of favorite missionaries, but I used to love, I love Adramine Judson because he went to a difficult field like some of these missionaries are. And I admire them. I, I probably wouldn't last very long in Japan. I probably wouldn't last very long in a lot of these countries because it's difficult. Adamant Judson graduated from Brown University. That's an Ivy League college. He's very smart, brilliant young man. Decided to be a missionary. Thought he would go to India and be a missionary. Got on a boat February 19, 1812. Set out. Took several months to get there. And on the way, he was, he was a Congregationalist. And on the way, he read his Bible and became a Baptist by conviction studying the Word of God, believed in, learned about eternal security, baptism by immersion, those different things. And when he, got off, wrote, when he got off the boat in India, he wrote back home and he lost all of his support. First American missionary. When he got off the mission there, William Carey found, found him and supported him and took care of him. And when he went to Burma, he, he got, he, the Indian government wouldn't let him stay in the country and finally had to leave. He didn't want to leave, but he had always studied Burma, always had an interest in that, and he found that there was a boat going there, and he really didn't have much choice. His wife was expecting a baby at any time, and he didn't want to put her on that boat, but he got on the boat, and they went there, and, and uh, that little baby died on that boat. Buried the little baby at sea, and brokenhearted, they, they arrived there in Burma. And they found out what most missionaries found out, and many missionaries find out that some countries like that are very difficult. And the first year he went there and started uh, trying to reach people who didn't see a single person saved. And the second year went by and not a single person was saved. By the way, Felix Cherry, the son of William Cherry, was a diplomat, used that as a way to get into Burma, and never saw a person saved. The son of the great William Cherry. The third year that he preached in that country and started preaching and, and Nobody got saved. That year, his son, Roger, was born. He was so happy. They didn't have any converts, but they had a, had a, now they had a son. Eight months after little Roger was born, he died. They buried him and still no converts. Fourth year, no converts. The fifth year, no converts. 
The sixth year he was there, they had their first three converts, almost all together. The first was a, was a man that worked on a riverboat and just calming me in. And those men became, stayed with him the rest of their lives, and God used them. And, and uh, you know, he was so excited. Three people got saved. Now, see, three people saved here, it's, not, it's a big deal, but it's not a lot of people to us, is it? But to him, it's like, wow. But the devil began to fight him like he will all the missionaries, and he fights you, yeah, I've noticed. He, is, he, is, he, he will always do that. And a war broke out between England and, and um, Burma. And, of course, he was an American, but it didn't do any good because being a Caucasian, they thought he was, a, you know, he was an Englishman, and they put him in prison for two years, and they tortured him. His wife was uh, expecting at the time, and she would come to the prison and try to bring him some food, and, and he got to meet that little baby, and they named him Maria, and he was happy, but it was very difficult. When he got out of prison, his health was broken. And he said, he thought to himself, this is, you know, I, physically, I cannot do this. I'm not going to go back home. I will stay here. And at least I'll, I'll be faithful, and I won't accomplish much, but I will stay here. This is where God called me, and I'm not going to leave. And he did. He stayed. He was wrong. He was dead wrong. God, God was going to use him. People began, the, the war broke their broke their spirit broke their confidence and they opened up to the gospel and he was being invited to preach at places and people were getting saved and he was so excited and uh you know he he began to go out in one place i think they had 200 people saved at one place he was just extremely just so excited god opened the heart and he so he started traveling and one day as he was traveling he got a letter from his wife explaining that their daughter was very sick and praying that please pray that she would be okay and a few days afterwards, a week or so afterwards, he got another letter, and it was, it was in what they called a black sealed envelope. Back in those days, if you got an envelope that had a black seal on it, that meant that, that someone had died. And when he, when he got the letter and saw that, oh, he knew he'd lost his daughter. And uh, his heart sunk as he thought about her and what would his wife do without any children. And, but he opened the letter up, and it said these words. To sum up the unhappy tidings in a few words, Mrs. Judson is no more. He was overwhelmed and broke, literally broke down and couldn't stop crying. And How would he go on? But he did. You know, that was only 14 years after he got to the mission field. He stayed there 25 more years, married the, the wife of another missionary who died, George Borman, married Sarah Borman. And God used him to reach the K-R-E-N, Karan Christians up in the mountains. They saw so many people saved. He stayed here 39 years, came back to the America one time. William Carroll never went back to, the, to England after he went to the mission field. He, he went back only one time in 39 years. He died on a boat. He stayed in Burma because he loved those people. He translated the Bible into the Burmese language. It, most people would tell you that know a lot about translation work. Because that's one of the finest translations that's ever been done with the Word of God in another language. And God used him. He died on a boat in the Indian Ocean. They buried him at sea, trying to get well from a sickness. And um, years after he died, they did a survey of the country of, of Burma. And this is several years after, decades. Found out there were 210,000 Christians in Burma. One out of every 58 people in Burma, and those are people that were willing to say they were Christians. One out of every 58 people said that they had 
knew Christ as their Savior. When he came, not a single Christian as they knew in that whole country. You know, that's a great story, isn't it? But the sad thing is there's just not enough Adderman Judsons, not enough uh, billboards, not enough CT studs, not enough William Carey's. But you know, there are places, and you know, it's sad because Burma closed. You can't go, you can go underground, and we support, there are 230 Filipino missionaries now, foreign missionaries, and that many of them are going to places that are not where it's, where it's you know, we don't tell where they're going, they don't, they're, they're going to, uh, in, a, in a place, communist countries and Arabic countries, and they're in danger, and one of them was arrested just the other day, a friend of mine has a missionary that sent out from uh, Manila, and he went to Bahrain and got arrested, and, and but, but there are places you can go and freely preach the gospel. And I wonder who tonight is here that can see the need, realizing that God can use anybody, would say, Hear my Lord, send me. I'll volunteer. Send me to the mission field. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.